Hello and welcome back to season two of Mud Between Your Toes, Conversations with Pete Wood. In the first 50 episodes, I gave you an interfusion of narrations directly from my book and the occasional conversations with Pete Wood. I hope you enjoyed them despite my amateur dramatics voiceover. In this new series, I aim to bring you new conversations from fascinating people around the world, people who have a connection with Zimbabwe, albeit at times rather tenuous. I hope you find them informative, interesting, and above all, entertaining. In our last episode, I chatted to you with Louisa Trieger about the Dragon Lady. But this week, I bring you real dragons. In 2011, HBO launched the TV series Game of Thrones. It simply took the world of television by storm. The show concluded in May 2019 after a spellbinding, sexy, brutal, and fabulous eight seasons of pure nail-biting fantasy. Zimbabwean-raised Jonathan Simmons was the senior animator for series five, six, and seven, and is speaking to me from his home in Mauritius. Jonathan Simmons, welcome to Conversations with Pete Wood. Hi, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be on your show. Uh, look, we'll get to Game of Thrones a little later. Um, you're the co-founder of Sephoria VFX, based in Mauritius. Tell us a little bit about Sephoria. What kind of work do you do? Uh, we do a whole bunch of things. We work predominantly in visual effects for films. So we don't actually produce a film necessarily, but we would, um, we would do all the visual effects. So if a boat needed to be placed on, a, on the ocean, we would uh, just do that. Or a set extensions, we can turn a modern day skyscraper into an old building. Um, those sort of things that we do, we can enhance the footage, we, we edit it, we storyboard it. And um, yeah, we, we basically it depends on the project. If we have a client that wants to do something um, different, then we work with the client and try to realize their vision. So it's, basic, it's a ba basically the whole whack. You do pre-production, on-set visuals, post-production, and final output. But how, how did you end up in Mauritius? It seems like an unusual place to have a company like this. Well, look, uh, Peter, I, I've obviously, I've traveled the world, and I've worked in different countries, you know, Germany, London, Norway, and uh, the UK. And I was asked to come and do my TED Talk in Mauritius. And... Um, so when I came over here, you know, it was so nice to, to have that sort of sense of um, being back in Africa again. I know it's, a, it's an isolated island out in the Indian Ocean, but it was so, the people are so nice and friendly that the crime is low. And the opportunity for me to start the company came when a producer um, from Identical Pictures said, you know, we don't have a visual effects company here. It would be a good idea to maybe start your company here. So I thought there's a good open market for that. So uh, here we are. I mean, it, 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 I suppose it doesn't matter where in the world you are for a visual effects company because you can work from a studio. 
Exactly. Actually, in Mauritius, they have a rebate scheme. So you can get up to 40% off on 40% uh, rebate on a film that you produce. So, and that was also extended into visual effects. So that was very, very nice for us. The taxes are much lower here. It's 15% tax uh, as standard. And then you've got the rebate on top. So uh, as a business, from a business perspective, that was something that attracted us much more than going to say London, which is flooded with uh, lots of other companies and the taxes are a little bit higher. They do have a rebate, but it's um, overall Mauritius was the, the right choice. I mean, and you've got quite a fabulous CV, haven't you? I mean, you've worked on a number of projects, including James Cameron's wonderful avatar, Troll Hunter, Where the Wild Things Are, and of course, the biggie, Game of Thrones. How did you end up um, doing Game of Thrones? That's, a, that's, a, that's one of the most common questions everyone asks. It's like, how did the, how did the Zimbabwean boy um, become uh, the lead animator on, on the show? Um, so, I was, so I was born in South Africa. I, got a, I was adopted after my mother, my biological mother passed away. And um, my aunt and uncle that later I called mom and dad, I grew up with them and their family with my biological sister in Zimbabwe. And after, after I left school, I went over to the UK to meet my real father and put myself through university there. And then I got a couple of jobs um, as a runner. So I, you know, I was running around making coffee for everyone and all this kind of things. And um, always remained in my mind that I was going to be successful. And I got an opportunity to prove myself on a primeval TV series, Animating Dinosaurs. And from then, I just studied and studied and invested in in my skill and my talent. And then I got an opportunity to work on Dark Tide with uh, Halle Berry. And on that, on that show, I, I obviously made an impression. And then they called me back, the same company, Pixamondo, called me back to work in Germany on the Game of Thrones to replace the lead animator that was there at the time. And five years later, um, uh, I'm, I'm here and I've been nominated twice, three times for a Visual Effects Society Award. And, and people have asked me to tell the story. So then I came back and, and I want to tell the story to everybody so that they have an inspiration and something that, that shows that someone in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a third world country can actually, you know, if you put your mind to it, be, be anything that you really want to be if you focus. I mean, Jonathan, but Jonathan, your life has been marred by very real tragedy. And yet you said that this helped mold you as a person, as a storyteller, as an animator. In fact, in your TEDx talk, you said it's all about storytelling. Um, can you tell us more about that? Sure. Um, well, the tragedy in my life, I think, is, is just... There's a lot of people that have tragedy, you know, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of people that have worse tragedies than I do, but I just, I chose to use them as a sort of means to focus on, on my, on my work. My work became a distraction and in animation, the animator itself is like an actor behind a computer so that the animator would work in a, he'd maybe animate a, a dog or a cat or something, but his personality would go into that character, if, you can, if you're following me right there. Absolutely. So, so when I was working on all these characters, Trollhunter and Avatar and 
um, Game of Thrones, I, I just 100% put my attention into the character. And that helped me escape through the tragedies um, one by one. After my, after my brother passed away, it, was, it, was really, it really hit hard. And then when my sister, sister passed away uh, in 2018, um, it was, it, 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 that's when I could actually just mold, mold myself into the dragon and escape day to day. And, and uh, yeah, as I mentioned in my TED talk, he helped me, he helped me escape. You know? it's, it's a strange thing to do, but um, I suppose you see it in kids. When kids are outside and they're talking about their, their doll and they've escaped into that character. They've created their own personality for that doll or that um, stick or whatever it is. And I just use that to, to distract myself from, from um, the tragedy at the time. I only say distract myself because I needed to focus entirely on the project. I couldn't let it, I couldn't let it um, fail because it would have made me, um, I would have failed myself in a way. So, you know, I, I, I put it aside, all the tragedies, put them all aside each time. And then I focused on the work and then I would come back later and uh, go through, um, I'd com compartmentalize everything in my mind. And then I'd go through and deal with each situation accordingly uh, to move forward. I mean, your, your, so your mum died when you were five years old. Your, sis, your brother drowned, didn't he? And then your sister died of leukemia halfway through the production of Game of Thrones. Yes, yes. My first mother died when I was five. And then my second, my stepmother, my aunt, uh, she was, died in 2004. And then my brother in 2005. And Karen last uh, in 2018 during Game of Thrones. Yeah. But you did reconnect with your biological father when you moved to the UK, didn't you? Yes, I did. And he's now living uh, with my sister, in my biological sister in Norway. So she's looking after him over there. Ah, oh, fantastic. Um, you, you, going back a little bit to when you were a runner for a production company, um, a runner basically is a glorified T-boy. And you, <laughs> sa you said on your TED talk, if I had to make tea to get there, I'd make sure it was the best damn cup of tea you ever had. Yes. I mean, it's a brilliant line, Jonathan. Yeah. I, I think that, that that's something that is so important is even if you know that you're going to become a successful broker and you're going to have to start at the bottom making printing things or licking envelopes, you just do your best and you make an impression. I think that that is such a, a powerful thing to get the message across to somebody. If you can smile in a, in, a, in a situation where people are asking you to do something you're not very comfortable with, you, you, you smile, take it on the chin and do your best and people will notice. If you give uh, attitude back or if you, um, you, know, you, you behave in a different manner, people will remember that. They won't remember your, 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 your work. You know, they'll remember your impression, what, you, what, what imprint you leave on them. That's what they're That's right. That's right. I mean, I'll get back to that impression later. But clearly your adopted parents, the Donalds, gave you a wonderful life growing up in the Vumba Mountains in the eastern Zimbabwe. Um, in many ways, this also helped you with your animation because you studied the insects and the animals. And also a local artist, Rose Rigdon, um, you mentioned her as well. 
Yes, roses, roses forever in my mind. I, I had, I, I suppose fellow Zimbabweans and South Africans will know of the Wild Side books, Rose Rigdon. Um, I, I mean, her style is very much yeah. um, the sort of precursor to DreamWorks animated movie Madagascar, isn't it? I mean, that's what, yeah. her, that's what her cartoon animals are a bit like. Yeah, she, I mean, she can take a simple situation of lions sleeping under a tree and uh, one lion's on the phone and he's like <laughs> saying, oh no, animal rights again, stop eating the giraffe, you know. It's just, <laughs> she has a, such a quirky imagination and, and from a young, a young age, I had access to her books because my mum used to um, sell them in her store. And actually Rose, Rose and uh, Derek, they actually live in my dad's place in Matari right now. So when I was back there, I went and I met her for the first time. I'd never met her before. And then I interviewed her and talked to her and um, just sort of told her, thank you for, for being my creative inspiration as a, as a child. And that makes me, when I animate, I can come up with a personality and I can focus on the, the poses that she used to create, the anatomy, of how she would uh, tell a story through a single drawing. And I would just put it in my, my animation. Absolutely. I mean, when you uh, draw a cartoon of an animal, it's very important to get the, that confirmation, that, that anatomy correct, before you start turning it into a sort of human-like character. So I expect that must have helped you a lot in the future. Yes, it did. And, you know, I think, I think when you become good at something, if you focus on one thing and, you, and you're passionate about it, the inspiration is all around you. I think with animation, for me, and um, especially when I, was, when I would go to work on the underground, instead of reading a newspaper, I'd watch, I'd watch human behavior. I'd watch how long it takes for them to blink, how long, which, step they, which foot they use to get off the train. Um, you know, the shifting in their body weight, skinny people, large people, young kids, whatever it was. And the, the, the laws of animation helped me to create a timing in my mind. And then my reference was everywhere. The pigeons landing, I watch how they move. And um, that, that sort of helps me. Even today, I still, I'm still learning and I still invest in um, my my skill just because I don't know which character is going to come around the corner that I have to animate. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and investing in yourself is very important. You said in your TED talk, I decided to invest in myself and in my mind. And it was the, the best investment I've ever made. Yes. I, I completely, I totally believe that we never stop learning. We even, you know, before my grandfather, uh, passed away uh, last year, I think, or the year before. I was at his old age home and um, I ended up, I was showing him the dragon that I had created, my own personal dragon, and I was showing him this and he was asking questions about how, how does it move? How do you move sort of this sort of creature you have no reference of? And I would explain it to him and he would drift in and out of consciousness, but even at the end, I was still explaining to him how this works. And I think that Investing in your mind as you grow through life is so, so valuable and sharing, sharing ideas, sharing knowledge about how to tie your shoelaces or how to bake a cake, whatever it is, as long as you learn from each other and, and from books and online, uh, you, 
you empower your mind and you you develop a sense of sort of security about yourself so when you walk into a room you walk into the room knowing that you can handle any kind of question that is thrown at you and it makes you feel a little you elevate yourself and i think that's important to remain successful and believe in your 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 passion and your your drive to to reach your goals at the end of the day indeed now drum roll Let's get to the Game of Thrones. You were instrumental, largely you and a team, but you were instrumental in the creation of all three dragons. But the, the one we all fell in love with was Drogon, possibly the most famous dragon ever. Larger and more aggressive than his siblings. He, he, he also has a personality. Um, and of course, he was also the personal mount of Daenerys, although Drogon is meaner, nastier. He's the one dragon everyone seemed to emotionally connect with. I suppose that's partly owing to Amelia Clark's relationship with the dragon, but also I expect largely that's because of you. So tell us how that happens. Well, it's, I don't want to take all the glory for it. Of course, there were a lot of animators that worked on the dragon. Um, but I, I focused entirely on on um, on Drogon's behavior. I think when he, it's quite difficult because you've got a reptile that, in some ways, should never be human. It should never have a human uh, connection. You shouldn't look at him and he frowns his eyebrows up when he's sad, you know. Or the only thing that that we really could do is to keep him evil and mysterious i think um the dragon you know for example how long it would take for him to blink if he blinks quickly then it shows that he's nervous if he blinks blinks very very slowly it shows that he's sort of too calm and relaxed so his blink the timing of the blink going down in three frames and up in in two or two to five frames and holding on the blink for four or five frames would make the perfect um, decision of how what he's thinking of. So, I suppose that that is what I specialized in. And and thank you for the comments. But um, a lot of other animators worked on it as well. And uh, Drogon's Drogon's when you look at him, this the power of him is actually to not connect with him. You don't know what he's going to do. And only Khaleesi being there can con- control him. So that's, uh, that, I think that was achieved very well towards the end, especially after Khaleesi's death. There was a, a very... Pa- Actually, I was animating uh, Khaleesi's death and Drogon, um, that sequence. And that was during the time of Karen's, um, my sister's uh, leukemia. And then she... It took 18 days and she was, she was gone. So it was really hard to come back and watch the, and animate this dragon picking up um, uh, Daenerys that, that I had been working with for five years, you know, so picking up this dead corpse and flying off with it into the distance. So that was a very ironic yet um, powerful thing for me to focus on at the time. So, so the, the dragon, Drogon, actually managed to help you get through this period as well 
he did. It's just such a weird thing. I'm animating him, but he he was my escape uh, vehicle for dealing with the, the the death, and also in real life. Of course, not in real life, but in the show, dealing with the death, um, making him not too sad but not too aggressive. And we did lots of different versions of the animation. We were we started off with where he was super super aggressive towards John, and that gave it away that um, because. Drogon was never, he never knew that John, what John did. He didn't, he didn't go, oh, hey, John, hey, what have you done? That's terrible. So he comes in, he just feels the loss of, of Khaleesi. He arrives and he can't understand the situation. John's there holding her. So he, he sort of gets permission to, to uh, look at, look at Danny and, and see what's going on. Um, and we did lots of versions. So he'd come in and he would be snapping and growling at John and angry. And, and that wasn't what we wanted to show. And also when he, when, he, when he breathes fire at the throne and the throne gets destroyed, it was never about Drogon um, destroying the throne. It was always about him just screaming in agony, like, like I'm so pissed off. And he's actually just clearing, he's clearing the wall so that he can fly off with Danny. And the throne just happened to be in the way. But I think that maybe, unfortunately, due to HBO's uh, um, cutting of that sequence, they focus a lot on the throne being destroyed. And that gives it a way that maybe Drogon was pissed off with the throne, which makes him a bit too intelligent. And that's mm. not what we wanted to, to show. I mean, that series finale was viewed by 19.3 million people across HBO's platforms. And a hell of a lot more illegally downloaded, I might add. Um, <laughs> and that last episode possibly had the best battle scene ever filmed. Um, were you still with the series when that was done? And, and, and actually, how did you actually feel about the death of Drogon? Because emotionally, you've obviously put a lot into these dragons and you've seen these dragons, I know this is ridiculous, I know, I know, but you've seen these dragons hatch from an egg over the series and grow to what they become and then you have to kill the thing off. Yeah, sure, but it wasn't the death of Drogon, remember, it was the death of uh, Rhaegal, I think it was. Oh. I think it was Viserion. Um, that, that was, it was hard, we didn't actually work uh, the company Pixamondo didn't work on that sequence that was done by another company. And it was uh, a flying sequence. So the dragon, the dragon gets killed in the air and falls to the ground. It's pretty straightforward brief, but I think the animation that I saw was fantastic. And it was hard to know. I mean, of course, I knew what was going to happen quite a while before. Even my team, some of them didn't know what was going to happen. And I was sworn to secrecy, but... Um, watching watching it and seeing it and knowing that you'll never work with that character ever again is quite a it's quite a thing. It's like someone coming, or you come out of your apartment, you go downstairs and your bicycle's gone, and you know that you'll never see it again. So it's this loss, uh, which was was hard to deal with, but of course, um, you know you sort of man up and and, and carry it, on, it, I suppose. I mean, it's it's quite a triumph actually, and yeah. also the, and the way you managed to get this huge, heavy beast to be able to land yeah. on the turret of a castle. It, yeah. it, it's so real. You can feel the weight of it, but you can also feel the way it, it balances itself as it's, 
you know, stands on the on the turret. It's pretty bloody amazing, I have to say. Yeah, we had to, we had to, the anatomy of him was referenced from eagles and birds and bats and we got chicken wings and we bought them in the supermarket and we saw how the, the muscles would move underneath the wings and we put the dragon in wind tunnels to make sure that the, the length of the wing could fly, could keep him uh, in lift if he's gliding. And lots of things that went into every single detail, every single scale on his body is different. Um, his head is a little bit offset, so it's not symmetrical. And uh, the weight of him was super, super important. And as he got older, he became heavier. So we, every season we had to rebuild him from scratch again. New rig, new model, new texture. Discuss where he's grown. Has his horn grown or his eyes bigger? And lots of different versions would come out until the ones that, that the public would see. So there was a lot of experimentation. But anatomic, anatomically speaking, he, he's the most perfect um, evolved um, dimensioned uh, dragon to carry and support that weight. And he, he, has, he has his wings to support that act as arms. Uh, yeah. So switching from, switching from landing, so if he's walking and then he, he goes into the air and flies, that, that's the most difficult thing to do as an animator, to take something that's so heavy and make it weightless. And... Uh, elegant in the air because he had to fly with such elegance so you know of course he's got Khaleesi on the back so he can't be flapping around like a pigeon he has to be super super smooth and that was very difficult to blend between weight and weightlessness so it's an amazing series it's a shame that it's over yeah um, we're, we're not going to talk about the end scene I think uh, <laughs> spoke, it's been spoken about enough you know, mm. slightly disappointing, but there you go. I know. Um, <laughs> um, but despite your family loss, you have the most amazing positivity, Jonathan. Uh, you, you were talking earlier about impressions. When I was 15, funnily enough, in the Seychelles, um, a lady told me to always make an impression. It doesn't matter if it's a good impression or a bad impression. Just bloody will make an impression. So I was really delighted to hear you mentioned uh, the whole thing about making an impression earlier mm. on. Yeah. Do you know, I think I was talking about this the other day. Actually, in, in Mauritius at the moment, they're filming a little TV series on YouTube about um, me coming to the island and exploring, exploring the island and calling it my new home. You know, because we've lost, I've traveled the world, I've lived everywhere, and I didn't have a place to call home. So now I'm here, I've set up my company, and I'm 100% behind the company. But, I, you know, I suppose leaving an impression is something that because I've, I've lost you know, my, I've lost my brother. I never got to, to say the things I wanted to say to him and my sister and my mom and my other mother and my grandfather. The, the most important thing that I think that I can leave behind is to leave a legacy, to leave something that people will remember you by or to leave an impression or an imprint on someone. I love teaching. I love giving advice to people. People stand there and ask me, John, how are you so humble? How do you manage to uh, stay positive and I think that that someone asking me for my advice um, I that's the impression that I leave that's my legacy I think that I of course we're setting up an academy here um, to teach to teach Africa how to make films and creatures and things but 
leaving that impression and leaving a legacy behind, I think that's something that is so imprinted in me right now. Yeah, I, I, I look, uh, I mean, kudos to you and, and very lucky to, uh, for your students to be working with you. I think this is a good place almost to end. But before okay. we do go, um, can you please tell us what you're working on now? Actually, uh, Sephora, my company here, we, we are going to be working on a full CG animated dragon film, which is called The Curse of Engan, which uh, there's a dragon, his name's Engan, and he lived in Mauritius 8 million years ago. And it's a story about um, how he just doesn't fit in. He's this big oversized dragon and he gets challenged by other dragons to a duel and he ends up killing the other one. And then everyone banishes him and, and he goes away and he hides in his cave. It's very much related to how bullying happens at school. And this, the story evolves that he, they eventually need him and he comes back every now and then and he helps out uh, and then they accept him again. And we're going to use my dragon that we've created already. He's already ready to go. So that's what we're working on at the moment. There's a couple of films that are coming into the island in September that we will be doing some visual effects on. Um, but predominantly, we're going to be focusing on this dragon film, hopefully. So, yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of dragons, Jonathan Simmons. <laughs> I know. Um, you're a, and obviously you're a legend. Uh, please keep on creating monsters and blue aliens and hairy Scandinavian trolls for our unbridled love of fantasy. Um, of so. Can I just say that if my listeners want to know more about you and your team, they can go to sof-oria.com S-O-P-H-O-R-I-A.com. And yes. you can find out a lot more about what you do and what your academy is all about and uh, the work that you've done in the past. Yes, and Sophoria, actually, to try and remember the name, it's my business partner's daughters, Sophia and Gloria. Ah, so. I was wondering about that. <laughs> it's quite unusual. Yeah, so that's a lot of people have asked how you came up with the name, so... But that's where we can find anything about us. You can contact us. We have job opportunities. We have representation opportunities. And we're setting up the academy online and locally. So that will be a visual effects course doing all kinds of things um, from production, storyboarding, all the way through to filmmaking and being in front of the camera as well, acting classes. So it's going to be huge and it's not just going to focus on animation. And hopefully that that it's not going to be as expensive as the first world courses. So that's what I'm trying to get uh, local, the local African, um, uh, the, you know, the third world to be educated in film production because they have so many stories that they need to tell. So many stories that are, are lying in graveyards and they, they should have been told. So these stories need, need a, need a, need a, need a, need a pilot, need someone to fly to take them. So, that's what I'm going to provide the vehicle for them. So, very exciting and um, lucky for lucky for Mauritius to have you, Jonathan Simmons. We're actually out of time. Thank, Thank you, you for joining me on Conversations with Pete Wood. Thanks very much, Peter. Okay, bye. Bye. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much for listening to me, and remember. 
You can tune into my new episodes of Mud Between Your Toes via iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, and Pocket Casts. Don't forget, you can always buy a copy of my book on both Amazon and Kindle. And I also welcome comments by email on mudbetweenyourtoes at gmail.com. Goodbye.